The passage that we're going to read today is from John 9, verse 1 through 12, and then 35 to 41. It's found on page 1664 in your pew Bibles. John 9, verse 1 through 12. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go wash, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. And then the next page, 35 to 41, spiritual blindness. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, don't, do you believe uh, in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. About 15 years ago, I'm driving down Gates Avenue in Red Deer on the north end. My kids are small. And from the back seat, one of them says, as we drive by Kentucky Fried Chicken, Dad, why is your picture on that sign? What you just experienced in the last 10 seconds was an epiphany like I did when I sat in that car. (laughs) That is me. (laughs) And my eyes were opened. Join me in prayer. And Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And you challenge us, test us, drive us. And you help us flourish. And you help us see. And then you... You also help us not see some of the things for our benefit because of grace. And Lord, in faith we ask, may you teach us, may you help us serve, may you enrich us as you did with your disciples. Touch us in our hearts so that we may be motivated purely by your unconditional love. It's in your name's sake we pray this. Amen. 
Epiphany is something that happens every once in a while, and I think this is a delight coming here with this message this morning, hearing some of the things that others have experienced. It's not Colonel Sanders and Rick Emma kind of look the same when they're sketched on a sign, but they are, I can't believe I just witnessed when I handed the keys over to the house, how emotional they were, stories. The key, excuse the pun, is because they were on mission. And sometimes I think the challenge that I find in my life is that as Jesus teaches his disciples through the story of the blind man, sometimes we just don't go. We don't go. We know we should, but we don't go. We've got questions first. We've got theological discussion first. One of the epiphanies, which really is a word that usually is brought up on the Christian calendar regarding the 12 days of Christmas, starting with Christmas, brings us to a story that also helps us understand epiphany. Perhaps it's a common one, but a beautiful one. It starts off sad because it is Christmas Eve, And the epiphany begins this way. The woman who has been telling her husband for years throughout their marriage that Christ is real and alive and offers new hope through the grace and unconditional love he offers was a story that became something the husband didn't want to hear anymore. Honey, you know my feelings about that. You know what I think about that. As she packs her kids up, puts the coats on to head out the door to go to the Christmas Eve service that evening. During the time that the mother and the children were gone to the Christmas Eve service, the the father stays home with his disbelief only to see outside the window a storm building and the snow comes and it starts to blow and he can hear the sounds and he keeps peeking out because, yeah, it's exciting. But still he's wondering about the threat of the storm and in it all he sees a number of small kittens outside his house and in this story he begins to have compassion for these kittens they're going to die the temperature is plummeting and at this point he goes outside the door to try get the kittens but the kittens scatter so he retreats back into the house to think about what he can do And then he goes out and he tries to lure them with all kinds of stuff, but yet the kittens, without knowing that they are going to die because of the temperature drop and the storm that's coming, if they do not find some kind of safety, then they are going to die. And and he's trying to resolve this, and he doesn't know what to do. And at one point, in the true fashion of a wonderful Hallmark story, he ends up kind of leaning towards the kitten as far as they can go before they scatter again and says to himself, if only I could be one of them, then they would listen to me. And of course the church bells go off. And he says in his heart, because of the epiphany, because of the aha moment, that what he had just told himself was the very story his wife has been telling him for years. But he could not see it until that day. 
with the blind man, we see all kinds of stuff happening. And Jesus is really trying to bring a point across, which is simply this. you got to go. you got to be one that goes on the mission that Christ has brought us. And that isn't to do much more anything than just go. You see, in this story, we see a number of things taking place because the Pharisees later on, as we read, um, listen in. We've got the blind man, we've got neighbors and others who've seen the blind man as a beggar, and we've got the disciples also as an audience, seemingly on the opposite side. Yet in this whole story, as much as we skip to the middle part, uh, we, we see a story of physical blindness exposing spiritual blindness. In the beginning of this story, we have a number of Old Testament people because the New Testament is just starting to be written in this period that we read it. And the disciples and the Pharisees and the blind man and his family and all the neighbors are listening into this story with an Old Testament perspective. And that's why they say, who sinned? Why is this man blind from birth? Was it him? Hmm. Or was it his parents? And it's Jesus that begins to say to the blind man, first and foremost, go. It seems weird because the question of the Bible study that all of a sudden happened on that day, which was Sunday, by the way, was one that Jesus seemed to not care so much about, but he since tells the blind man to go as if that's the most important thing which Jesus is communicating in terms of having one's eyes opened. The debate continues as to whether it was the son or the parents that sinned, and we see that the the blind man ends up representing something that only these Old Testament people would understand when Jesus picks up some of the earth, which is the very earth that we know at the beginning of creation was picked up in which Adam was formed. In which mankind began. It's that very earth that ties back right to the beginning, which was also the area of the scriptures, more so Genesis 3, 7, where we see sickness and sin are related in that Adam's fall introduced both into this universe. Begging to have again that question answered, is it his, him or his parents that caused this issue to happen? Again, they're begging to have this question answered. This fall, the whole idea of this, this very dirt that picks, is picked up by Jesus and, and then he spits and puts it on, makes the very uh, blindness end up going away. And so he reverses it, but he also says it in words where he says it's neither. But this is simply here in order for God's name to be glorified. Again, he emphasizes the fact that you must go. You must be sent. It's not ironic or coincidence that the place that Jesus tells this blind man to go, Shalom, is also meaning the word sent. Because Jesus is elaborating on the concept that the way we see Jesus is by being on mission with him. And it is when we are on that mission that our eyes then are confronted by something that makes us go, oh, much like I did 
when I just seen the KFC sign and how my kids drew me in connection to that. We have this kind of a, <laughs> I get it, much like a joke, and it can't be explained in theological debate or in Bible study. It can only be much like a joke told. And if you have to explain it, you know what it does to the joke. When we are sent, when we go, when we're en route with the mission of Christ, without any understanding perhaps of what might happen, it is then that we are delighted by the confrontation and the epiphany of of who Jesus is and the beauty. It takes much practice to discern and see these things, but this is how Jesus is teaching his disciples, the Pharisees, the neighbors, the blind man, and his parents all what it is that he is asking them to do as being a disciple. There is much curiosity because the disciples push on, even though this is something Jesus wanted to communicate. They weren't moved by compassion. Read it again. They weren't moved by compassion at all. They were moved by theological curiosity. And Jesus again cannot say enough that our first concern should be like Christ's own for the sufferer, for the neighbor, for the one another that we are to love. This was made clear in terms of our faith needing to be activated as we go Embracing Christ's mission without explanation, without understanding. Notice that the blind man went without any justification of why he should go. And it's not because the blind man knew who Jesus was, because later on in the text we see, with the Pharisees listening on, Jesus saying, do you believe in the Son of Man? And Jesus Jesus having to unpack that that is who he is. So it's not like this blind man went simply because, oh, this is Jesus, I better listen to. But he simply was being obedient, which was the point in which Jesus wanted to make to his disciples and to the Pharisees. Go wash in that pool of Siloam. Live by faith. In 1999, the leaders of one billion Catholics and the leaders of 61 and a half million Lutherans gathered together in Berlin on Reformation Day to make a signing of the fact that we do live by grace and are saved by grace through faith. Despite the fact that our history has been so troubled and even today, knowing that the disciples of Jesus sound a little, maybe, that's what's going on with my heart. Well, why should I go? I I don't understand why I should. But to know that as we go, then we see and have things unveiled, pointing to, to that epiphany. To be saved by grace, to live through faith, is the fuel. Not to have an understanding of, well, whose fault was it? Or why should I go? Because I'm not really sure what's going to happen. 
in the, in the world that I've been living for the last couple of years working with neighborhoods, I've had a number of stories that have just revealed how this became true. Because there is something unnatural today about people wanting to go and say or do anything with their neighbors, much less if they have no need to do it just out of abundance. But it's delightful every once in a while, like with the family just a little bit over there by, by the corner store across from uh, the Composite High School, which engaged in an opportunity where she simply made some great banana bread and knew that she had connection with some of the neighbors, but there was the one person who she really didn't know anything about, didn't want to have anything to do with because there wasn't any age relation, no kids the same age, nothing in common. But because she knew that there was something saying about how perhaps she should just simply go over and and do something, then on the way, bringing this banana bread, which she is absolutely certain is wonderful, and it is, that she would knock on the door. I don't know how to explain these things, because when she told me the story, I says, what am I supposed to do when I tell the story? How am I supposed to say what your heart said? Because when she knocked on the door, the lady living across the road simply invited her in. And I don't know if it was fear or what happened to the one with the banana bread, but she was so ecstatic about something that appeared to her that she could not communicate. She was so ecstatic about how perhaps she maybe had been judgmental or been insecure or had been living in fear when only to find out that this banana bread that she makes brings it over to this person and delights in the fact that she now uh, has seen her in a whole different light, her neighbor that is. The simplicity of the story is remarkable. To know what we live in, in terms of keeping us from going on mission, which essentially is fear and busyness, only to find out that when we overcome it, we have this epiphany that strikes great joy in our heart. It's a joy that no one else cares about because, well, that's her story. Who cares about the banana bread? I don't get it. What happened? There's much that the disciples in this passage are asking Jesus about what's happening here, too. Not to mention the Pharisees, who we'll get to in a minute. But one more story about another uh, neighboring concept, really simple. Uh, a, 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 a guy who's, who's been swearing at, across the fence to the children of this man, who, who is trying to embrace and, and be kind to the neighbor, uh, ends up seeing the guy who's swearing finally, after years of living next door to him, uh, being stuck in the snow across uh, his driveway because he went a little too far. And he he says this in a weird kind of way, but he makes it really, really obvious that he didn't want to help because of how this man has been treating his children verbally. But he ends up going over there just to help him push out because obviously there's a need, and when he does, the simplicity of this story too created something where both him Both men seen something that they hadn't when they woke up that morning. These are the things that perhaps are not explainable, but the excitement is is beautiful. And as much as it's not the goal, we do hear a similarity as to what Jesus is saying to his disciples, that we are to go. 
We are to continue to ensue the mission as we move forward in, in the light of Christ in order that we too may see what Jesus is doing. That's why I love that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the things of this earth will go strangely dim. It's, a, it's unbelievable how one can try to capture that in a story only to encourage somebody else and motivate them to go on mission. It seems to be fruitless, useless. It doesn't work. No one's motivated by a guy helping push out a vehicle. It just doesn't move their hearts to go on mission for Christ or to bake really good banana bread and see a person overcoming their fears only to get them to tell their story of their epiphany. The disciples are wondering the same thing. What motivates the hearts of the people? How can we get the disciples to be moved by compassion instead of theological curiosity, let alone the Pharisees? Well, there's many stories I could tell, but I simply know that in this story, we again have the highlight of Jesus using the physical blindness, ironically enough, to expose the spiritual blindness, which gets to our Pharisees. They're troubled. They too are Old Testament people, still trying to figure out who sinned. That must have been the parents, because he was blind since birth. What do you think? And they're talking about this at the expense of the invitation to be on mission for Christ. And the, and the Pharisees continue to ask these questions because this is their role and always has been. They can't see what Jesus is teaching and telling and showing on this Sunday where the blind man from birth comes to life and sees again. They're judicially incapable of seeing and understanding and receiving the truth. They've willfully shut their eyes. They've pulled the blinds down on the light of the world. And they don't know how to answer the question themselves. So they ask Jesus, are we blind too? They recognize themselves as guides to the people in the world of religiosity. But with pride, they're prompting this question to Jesus because they're struggling to understand again what Jesus is telling them as he tries to motivate the hearts of the people. I want to stop and just share in closing one story that hopefully brings it all together written by a man called Vernon Howard. Once upon a time, there was a weary traveler who was wandering down a dark and scary road. Suddenly there appeared before him a bright and marvelous castle with a welcome sign over the entrance. Knowing he had reached rest and safety at last, the traveler felt glad. Approaching the open gate, he saw a strange sight, however. Other lost travelers were walking right past the castle. They were walking right past it as if it wasn't even there. 
So he asked the castle resident about this strange behavior. This is what he heard in reply. This is a magic castle. It can be seen only by those who realize and admit they have lost their way. The castle can't appear to persons who pretend to know where they are going, who demand their own way. Sir, says the owner of the castle, your own self-honesty made the castle appear to you. As you have come and arrived here, please enter, for all its riches are now yours. Let's pray.